There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast. Greg, here we are again. We are. And we are in the middle of summer now, right? It's Yeah, it is. Oh, it's actually kind of flying by. Yeah, no kidding. Which is kind of crazy because winter will be upon us soon enough. Thanks for that. <laughs> and all this will be a distant memory. <laughs> Great. We'll remember all those good times we had in the summer. That's right. And then we'll pull the shovels out. <laughs> but last week we talked about the importance of professional financial advice and the value of an advisor and talked about it in terms of potential actual returns. One of the things that came out of that discussion was this idea of asset location versus asset allocation and the impact of dividend paying stocks versus capital gains or interest income. And so for today, we're going to revisit something that we did about 150 episodes ago. And that is the focus on dividend paying stocks as part of, or even all of a portfolio. And this was something I remember when I was New to the business, Greg, there was a report that would always come out and would say the the power of dividends. And it would always try to highlight how important dividend paying stocks were to portfolio construction. What I like are the analyses that seem to show that all of the returns of the Toronto Stock Exchange over the last hundred years have been from dividends. And you've seen those, you've seen those where they try to justify that basically all of the returns have come from the dividends. How? Well, exactly. How is that possible? Well, you know, they say if you torture the data long enough, it'll confess to anything. And I think that's one of those examples. Yeah. Well, you want to start us off here? Well, let's do it. So first of all, let's talk about what are dividends exactly and what are the benefits of receiving dividends? So first of all, dividends, basically, they're just the distribution of some of a company's earnings to a particular group of shareholders. Usually we talk about common shares as providing, in many cases, common shares of certain companies will pay dividends, and also preferred shares, which also pay dividends. But it's important that they are different types of shares, and each class of shares may not necessarily get the same dividend treatment. So, And basically, it's the company's board of directors that determine the amount of dividends and the timing of those payments. So typically... Many common shares or shares of uh, typical dividend-type companies in Canada pay dividends quarterly. But, you know, they can be paid monthly. In certain cases, certain ETFs pay dividends monthly. And again, entirely up to the discretion of the board of directors. And the important thing is to know is that the dividends can be paid in cash. That's usually the form that people will take them. Or they can be paid in the form of additional stock. So the cash dividend can be used to buy additional shares of the same company. A lot of those companies, when they do that, if they do the dividend reinvestment, don't they give a discount on the new shares Some do, some do, but not all. So certain companies, as part of their dividend reinvestment plans, or DRIPS, as they like to call them, will offer a discount on the subsequent purchase of shares through the dividend reinvestment. 
And typically it might be 5% or something like that. But again, it varies from company to company. So we can't assume that that's the case in all situations. So what are some of the benefits of, of receiving dividends? Well, some investors like to or need to receive cash flow on a regular basis. And so dividends do provide cash flow on either quarterly, as I mentioned, or sometimes monthly basis, depending on the particular security. And in Canada and in the U.S., dividends are taxed in a preferential manner, meaning that the after-tax value of a dividend of a dollar, for example, is better than the after-tax value of a dollar of interest or regular income. And that's when it's in a taxable account. And so why the difference between dividends and, and interest? And, and the answer is in the tax code, basically. And it's that dividends are paid out from a company's after-tax profits, meaning that the company has already paid income tax on their profits or on their earnings and then made a distribution to shareholders. And so the tax code basically allows for the total tax when you add up what's paid by the investor plus the amount paid by the company to approximate the amount paid if the income was all credited to the investor. And so it's called tax integration. And basically, as I say, it just means that the overall tax collected by the government on that dividend is the same as it would be if the investor had just received interest income. You know, so that's fairly critical. And so then the question, well, how do dividends fit into building a well-diversified portfolio? And that's one of the things we want to discuss today, because there's a lot of people that believe that the key to long-term investment success is to hold a basket of dividend-paying stocks. And while this may or may not result in a portfolio that provides better returns than the overall market, essentially, there's a number of myths about dividend stocks that should be addressed and then will help to answer the question, how do dividends fit into a well-diversified portfolio? Okay, so before we get right into these myths, I want to give my analogy of dividends very quickly. I view dividends, and you've heard me say this before, like calcium, in that you see those milk commercials and they tell you you got to drink two or three glasses of milk a day to get the right amount of calcium in your diet. And who puts out those milk commercials, Greg? Well, I'm going to guess it's the companies that produce and sell milk. Yeah, the dairy farmers. Exactly. Are the ones that fund these advertisements or advertisements, I think they say in the UK. And so, of course, they're incentivized to sell more milk, right? The reality is that if you eat a well-balanced diet that includes a lot of I don't know, leafy vegetables, you probably get enough calcium in your diet already without solely focusing on those two or three glasses of extra milk to drink. I hope so, because I haven't drank a glass of milk in <laughs> many decades, shall we say. You haven't been dunking your cookies into milk in a while, yeah. No. Yeah, and so I view dividends as kind of the same thing, is that if you own the market itself, so like a market-based ETF or mutual fund or something like that, you're going to collect the dividends of all of the stocks that are part of the market as a natural byproduct of just being invested without being focused solely on high dividend paying stocks. Yep. So the first myth we want to talk about is that dividends are essentially free income. And this just isn't true. So what you're talking about there is somebody thinks, well, I get the dividend and the stock is free to go up just like the rest of the market. Yeah. But they're not really maybe sharing, or maybe there's a misunderstanding of how stocks are priced, is that stocks are priced based off of the future cash flows of a company. And if that company is paying a 5% dividend, 
then their current stock price is going to be discounted by 5%, right? Because the money's got to come from somewhere, right? So the reality is if a company pays a dividend of a dollar, then the value of the company has to fall by $1 immediately before or after the dividend is paid. And I say before or after because dividends are paid on X, well, there's X dividend dates where every shareholder of record as of a X dividend date qualifies to receive the next dividend payment, right? On the the day before. The day before? Right. That's right. Well, I think what you're talking about is the fact that the value of the company actually drops a day before. Right. That's exactly right. So because the price is going to incorporate that dividend payout somehow, right? right? So if these companies' shares are worth $20 before the dividend is paid, then the payment you would have is a dollar. The shares have to be worth $19. That's right. Which is my 5% model. Exactly. Yep. And it may not be immediately noticeable because of the random share price movements of all companies on a daily basis, which happens to happen all the time, right? But it has to be true. And the way you can also look at it is like, if you have two companies and one pays that 5% dividend, and the other one doesn't, and they do the same thing in the same industry with the same products or similar products, well, the stock of the company that pays the dividend has to be discounted by 5% compared to the other stock. That's right. Right? You know, there's also this whole thing, though, about why people like getting dividends, and it's one of the concepts of behavioral finance that we've talked about in the past, and that is this whole concept of mental accounting. Like, because you can get a, a dollar of cash flow from a company, either by earning a $1 dividend or by selling a dollar's worth of stock, right? So if you own stocks, you could sell a dollar's worth and you still have a dollar in your pocket in either scenario. And the remaining value of your shares is still $19. Yeah. But for some people, it's it's like, I feel better about it because I didn't have to sell. I'm not selling my capital. I'm just getting this, this dollar income as if it's free. Yeah. And it's not free. It's come out of the value of your holding. Exactly right. Exactamundo. Ah. Isn't that, what is that? I was from Happy Days. (laughs) Okay, so that's the first myth. Second myth, dividend companies are better investments since they have a long history of paying and or increasing their dividends. Do you want to know the punchline to this, Greg? Yes, please. It's just not true. Oh, okay. Just not true. It is true that some dividend paying companies do have long track records of paying and actually increasing their dividends over time. And a lot of these companies are known as blue chip companies. And in Canada, you can look at things like the Canadian banks, utility companies, things of that nature that have been able to show maybe some of the telecoms, right? They've been paying out dividends for basically ever, and they've been increasing that payout for basically ever. But there's this thing called payout ratio. And a company, when they bring in revenue, they put it into retained earnings, right? And there's a percentage of that retained earnings that gets paid out in dividends or distributions if they're choosing to pay a dividend or a distribution. Yes. Yep. And if they don't, then they retain those and they can use those retained earnings to fuel future growth. Yeah. So exactly right. You stole my thunder. Oh, I'm sorry. You paused. I I did pause. I I thought you were waiting for me. I don't think I'm doing so well today. but. Don't pause. Keep it going. (laughs) So that's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head is that if a company does not pay out as much from their retained earnings, then those retained earnings can be used for future growth of the company. Maybe it's for research and development. Maybe it's for marketing. Maybe it's for some other use, right? That's right. 
That's right. And it shows up in the, you know, when you look at the trading levels of some companies out there and, and blue chip companies. And again, well, I'll pick on Canadian bank stocks in general. I was looking at the price of some Canadian bank stocks recently and and they're trading at the same levels they achieved back in 2014 in the case of a couple of banks in particular, which I won't mention, yeah. and U.S. bank stocks the same. And, and so even though you got a dividend, it doesn't mean that the company really has done so well on a stock performance standpoint. And so you have to realize that return, you know, is a combination of dividends plus capital appreciation of the share price. And so just getting a dividend, again, is not necessarily an indication that the company is better or worse or going to do better from a stock price performance. Mm -hmm. I think it gets worse than that, Greg. I mean, I think when you look at the dividend payout ratio of certain companies, and let's say in their capital structure, they're, I don't know, borrowing by issuing bonds to pay out dividends. Might not want to own that company. No, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Anyways, also, there is a big difference between small cap companies and large cap companies. And small cap companies typically do not pay dividends. They are more focused on, well, just making it, really, right? Growing. And large cap companies are the ones that tend to pay dividends. Now, if you look at the expected return, if you went to the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and you said, hey, which asset class has the highest expected return out there? They're going to say small cap value stocks, right? They have the most room to grow. So really, when you're looking at your overall rate of return, if you're not solely focused on getting this income creation, but you just want higher expected return, you would actually focus more on small cap value. Well, and look at what they call the mega cap stocks lately, the stocks that are driving all of the returns on the S&P 500 over the last six months or so. You mean like Apple? Their names like Apple. Absolutely. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta. NVIDIA. That's right. And many of these companies for the first 20 years of their lives never paid a dividend. They were growth companies, but I would say they would have been dang good investments you know, uh, 20 years ago to buy some shares of Apple or Microsoft. Well, that's the point is how would you have known 20 years ago that Apple was going to be a $3 trillion market cap company? I mean, you wouldn't have known, right? And it's kind of like when people say, well, I want to buy things like Amazon. It's like, no, you don't want to buy Amazon. You want to buy Amazon 20 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You might want to own Amazon, but in a well-diversified portfolio. Sure. Nothing wrong with it. I shop at Amazon. Don't you shop at Amazon? As a matter of fact, I'll tell you. It's almost the only place I shop. I'll tell you what. I am the reason you want to own Amazon. I think I shared with you that I just realized (laughs) the other day we have four Prime subscriptions in our house. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Amazon shareholders. (laughs) Okay, third myth is that you can build a well-diversified portfolio by selecting dividend-paying stocks specifically. The problem with that is that basically in order to get our tax benefit, the dividend tax credit in Canada, it means we have to own Canadian dividend-paying stocks. And what does that mean? It means we're overly concentrating in Canadian stocks only. And typically, uh, particularly in the Canadian context, those stocks are focused in a few main sectors of the markets. You mentioned them earlier, banks, utilities, pipelines, real estate. So those are the main areas, the main sectors of the Canadian, you know, sort of financial system that tend to pay the big dividends. 
And so what you may find, though, is so you're concentrated in Canada, first of all. You're concentrated in a few main sectors, secondly. And a lot of these sectors may behave similarly under certain market conditions. So, for example, rising interest rates, which we've just experienced, has been adding to the risk of many types of sectors, particularly things like the banks and utilities and real estate. You know, so you get the concentration in Canada, which creates a huge opportunity cost, as we've discussed in previous episodes, because you're being more fully invested in a market that represents only about 3% of the world's stock markets and missing out on most of the returns that come from things like technology and healthcare, which do not you know, make up any significant portion of the Canadian stock market. But this would be the same if you're Australian, you would be invested in Australian Correct. companies. If yep. you're American, you'd be invested in American companies. I want to go back to that point about Apple, though, because you mentioned Canada is about 3% of the world stock market. Apple is about 3% of the world stock market. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so take that little bit of info. Interesting. Do something with it. <laughs> right on. Okay, and the fourth myth, dividend stocks are like bonds. No. And people look at the income stream, the dividends offer, and they see them as a replacement for bonds, particularly when you look at periods leading up to, say, this past year, leading up to 2022, given the current low level of interest rates. And so people would say, well, why would I want to own a bond that's paying 1%? I can get 4.5% on a dividend stock, and, and they're very secure, they're blue chip, et cetera. And the, the bottom line is, is the risk profile of stocks, whether they're dividend stocks or others, is significantly higher than the risk profile of owning bonds. And so despite what happened in 2022 specifically, bonds do provide diversification benefits against stocks. And the key reason for holding bonds in a portfolio is the relatively low correlation of bond and stock price movements and the desire to reduce downside risk during times of stock market turmoil. Well, especially because of the capital structure of where bonds rank compared to stocks. Exactly. Right? If a company yeah. fails, the bondholders are getting something out of the company and the stockholders are, for all intents and purposes, getting nothing, right? right. Well, actually, that's not true. They get a maybe a large capital loss they can use. That's right. A tax benefit. <laughs> you know, so if you, if you look at a portfolio of all dividend paying stocks back in 2008 during the global financial crisis, it would have declined by at least 33%. And I'm guessing probably more by the time all was said and done. But a balanced portfolio of half bonds and half globally diversified stocks would have declined just 13.5%. So you got about 20% of your capital protected during that period by owning bonds. And so- Bonds and dividend-paying stocks are not the same. They behave differently. And so you could definitely build a portfolio of dividend stocks that maybe has better income than a balanced portfolio. But a lot of investors might not want to live with the volatility of that portfolio and therefore would stand a chance of selling out at a bad time. Yeah, we had somebody referred to us years ago now that came with a proposal from another firm. And in their proposal, they used zero fixed income so bonds, and replaced those bonds with preferred shares, saying that from a tax perspective, you get a better tax rate on the income being generated, blah, 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 right? And it was all bunk because those preferred shares actually went down a fair bit of value as a result of a stock market correction. And I think that's another misunderstanding is that preferred shares will trade like common shares during times of volatility, 
or they can trade like common shares, right? So they've got maybe an unlimited downside and a limited upside, whereas bonds are just different than that, right? Like they, they just trade different. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the dividend discount model because this is a popular model that essentially prices stocks Again, based off of future cash flow projections. Yes. Right? Yep. And it's one that every finance student in the world will study. And there's different variations of it. There's the Gordon growth model, which assumes that dividends grow at a constant rate over time. Now, this may or may not be true, Greg. But as your example from earlier, if you had those banks and pipelines and utilities, I mean, for the most part, they've grown their dividend over time. Sure, they usually, have. Usually, right? Yep. And so it can't really be a constant rate. Then you've got the one-period dividend discount model, which is used to determine the intrinsic price of a stock if you plan on selling it one period from now. I guess, what what would that be, like one year from now, maybe? I don't know. Like, I guess you're trying to figure out where interest rates and the economic cycle is going to be a year from now in that. Maybe. Might work. Probably not, but might. Then you've got the multi-period dividend discount model, which is, I think, honestly, the worst of them because you've got to be basically you're trying to forecast different growth rates of dividend rates over different time periods. And you know, where I ran into this was in school, taking a corporate finance class. And I got into a sort of an argument with a prof because they were looking at this multi-period dividend discount model and how if company XYZ kept their dividend constant for the first five years and then grew it at a growth rate of 3% from years six to 10 what would the stock price be? And I was like, how can you forecast that? Exactly. Like, that is ridiculous. That's like trying to say what the weather is going to be like five years from now. It can't work, right? No. And in many cases, I'm sure it's based on averages and assumptions. And then how can you then use those with clarity to sort of price a stock today? Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say that in our opinion, the economic cycle and the stock market cycle or general market cycles that we're living in they don't add anything to the idea of a dividend discount model. Yeah, it's hard to project. Exactly. And I'm not trying to be too hard on people that believe in the dividend discount model. Like, I think you got to start somewhere with your models. That's right. Absolutely. Right? Just like the weatherman has to, or weather person, I should say, yes. has to start somewhere with their model. Absolutely. But reality is going to take over where the model fails. Well, most significant concepts in finance require a model. And that serves as the basis for doing things like trying to correctly price a stock today or whatever until something comes out that, you know, disproves the model and then a new model is created. So just as we sort of get into the final throes of this podcast, let's talk about, you know, dividends and income creation in retirement. So there's a well-known TV personality who says, you got to pay daddy, right? And you got to pay daddy basically just means I want to invest in dividends. You have to pay me in order to hold your shares. That's what I get. I get paid. Wait, is this somebody we can say? Well, I wouldn't, but... Did they own a fund company at one point? Yeah, and you might see them on some popular TV shows like, I don't know, Shark Tank or Dragon's Den or something. So anyway, you got to pay daddy. And that's based on the fundamental principle or belief that, okay, I'm getting paid to wait. So if we're going through a bad time in the markets, at least I'm continuing to earn my dividend clipping the coupon, so to speak. But let's say if you invest in a stock or a group of stocks specifically for the dividend rate and the market goes through a correction, what's the outcome? So, so like, let's say, for example, you buy a stock that pays a 5% dividend to create retirement income. 
Well, if the market goes down 50%, like it did back in 2008, and in this example, you paid $10 a share for a stock that's now $5 a share, what happens? Well, well I think you lost half your money is what happened. Well, not only have you lost <laughs> half your money on paper, but you're still getting the dividend, right? Well, not necessarily. And you might find that the company might have to cut their dividend because their cash flow can't support the dividend payment any longer. Stocks usually go down by 50 percent because there's something significant happening in the economy that not only affects people, it affects companies' abilities to earn profits. So the company might have to cut their dividend because their cash flow, as I said, doesn't support it any longer. And as a result, the stock price could go down even further because a lot of people that are own it specifically for the dividend now have less reason to continue holding that stock. And listen, we've had some real life examples of this. You know, a number of years ago we received a referral to talk to a potential investor working at a local, you know, large cap oil and gas company. Which shall remain nameless. Which shall remain nameless. But frankly, given what's happened in the oil and gas industry over the last number of years, it could be any, any stock. But when we met this client, the stock was priced around $43 a share and the dividend was in the 5% range. And this person had 100% of their money invested in that company. Well, and it's worse than that, Greg. Because they had 100% of their money invested in that company, but they also had 100% of their human capital in that company because they're working there, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we were asked for our suggestions, but the investor didn't like what we said. Our advice was to divest a large portion of the company's stock and invest in a globally diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds. And the answer was, but the dividend pays my mortgage. So you fast forward to any number of periods in the last number of years, the stock was priced down around $2 a share. The dividend was cut to 0.5%. And, and that's just a tragic story because it's a significant loss of capital that was unnecessary. And it just points out a few things in that particular case. One is the concentration risk of being invested in one company, regardless of what it is, because you've got more than market risk now. You've got a lot of specific company risk in that situation. Look at any employee of, I don't know, Nortel, yeah. right? There's a lot of hundred heirs <laughs> exactly. that, that came out of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And human capital, which you mentioned, I mean, human capital is just the value of your working in that industry or working in that company. So when you work with the same company that you have all of your invested capital you have a lot, uh, again, exposed to one company, which if something happens to go wrong with that company, even if it's not something that's going wrong with the whole market, that's a lot of, it's a lot of risk. Mm -hmm. You know, there's unforeseen risk. You know, you never know what's around the corner. And like, say, a global pandemic, for example. It'll never happen. No, you're right. Well, one maybe once in 100 years. But if you worked for a cruise line and you're paid by the company and you invest all your money in that company, then you're in rough shape when that pandemic hit. And lastly, cost of capital. Companies that pay a really high dividend may be using that dividend rate to attract investors. They have to pay a higher amount. Otherwise, why would an investor put their money with them? And therefore, that might mean there's a higher level of risk attached to that company. And companies sometimes do that when you see their payout ratios, you know, which may typically be in the 50% range, start to get towards 100%. If a company is paying out 100% of its earnings in the form of dividends, then there's no money left to grow the company. That company has to either drastically increase its earnings or cut its costs or borrow, in my case from earlier, my example earlier, 
borrow with new bonds to pay out dividends. Exactly. That's probably a company you don't want to be invested in. Right on. So the point of this discussion is not to say companies that pay dividends are bad. We have nothing against owning dividend-paying companies. What we don't advise, though, is building an entire investment portfolio around dividend-paying companies. And as you mentioned earlier, if you own the market or a highly diversified portfolio, you will earn dividends by default. You'll get your calcium. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that does it for today, hey? That does it for today. Yeah. We'll see you next time. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.